Welcome to Apple Arcade Plus, the show where you get to hear from the people behind Apple Arcade games. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. Yeah, one really interesting thing about the process, our, our creation process, is that a lot of games, they have the level designer will gray box a level and literally just looks like a bunch of gray boxes. And then it has to go through an art pass where the artist replaces those with actual assets. And that can make iteration somewhat difficult because you get to that final version and people play it and it doesn't work quite well. Then you have to throw out all the art, go back to gray boxing, and then it's another pass. For us, it's basically instant. We go from gray boxing to final art instantaneously. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined today by William Cheer, the game developer behind Manifold Garden. This is a game that has been in development for many, many years, starting life in 2012. It's a game that will make you think quite a bit and has an art style and visual look that I fell in love with right away. So that's what's coming up. If you're enjoying this podcast, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Every review goes a really long way in helping others discover the show. If you have feedback, you can send that to me at applearcadepodcast at gmail.com. You can find the website at applearcadepodcast.com and you can follow the show on Twitter at applearcadeplus. Without further ado, here's my interview with William all about Manifold Garden. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, William. You can first introduce yourself and the basic premise of Manifold Garden. Sure. My name is William Cheer, and I'm an independent game developer based in Chicago. Manifold Garden is my first game, and it's a game where we reimagine the rules of physics, the laws of gravity, and kind of explore space and architecture based on that. It's sort of stepping into an M.C. Escher print and experiencing it in first person. And that art style, uh, is that something that you have a personal affinity towards, something you like discovered as a younger person and kind of like wanted to do this at some point in your life to create this game? You mean the, the art style in Manifold Garden or just Escher's work? Escher's work, yeah. Well, I think you, you see it a lot. He's one of those artists that you sort of see even when you're a kid because they often use them on the cover of math textbooks. And so I think, I think that's where I first came across this stuff. And yeah, I'd always been fascinated by unusual physics. I, I'd studied physics in college. So, you know, optical illusions, like reimagining the universe, stuff like that. that. That's always something that I've been fascinated by. Okay. And where did the idea initially come from back, I guess, in 2012 when this game started to be developed? Sure. I mean, originally it was just supposed to be a practice project to, to become familiar with Unity. The original name of the game was Relativity. It was based on the print Relativity by Escher, which features these different humanoids walking on on different gravities. And the game was supposed to be just about gravity changing. Over time, it it evolved. And I think in 2015, we changed the name to Manifold Garden because it just no longer felt relevant. So you mentioned that gravity was the original concept, and that remained. But how else has the game evolved since that original concept? Yeah, it's still kind of the core traversal mechanic but i think the game it was yeah the the game originally was supposed to be just focused on gravity changing and just focused on puzzles and i think what it is now you know we've had seven years to add things to it but the having the world wrap around on itself is a big component and i think the game i don't even know if i would call it a puzzle game there are certainly puzzles but it's much more about exploring a 3d space where the rules are different and then learning those rules and mastering that and the puzzles exist just to highlight 
those important things that you, you might miss otherwise. The puzzles exist to serve the exploration as opposed to the other way around. Interesting. Okay. And what, if any, games kind of inspired you during the development or prior? Sure. Certainly the, the first game was Portal. I did not play games for, I think, about eight years I played a ton of Tony Hawk Pro Skater when I was in middle school. And then I think when I was around 14, 15, I stopped playing games. And it wasn't until I was 20, 25 when I started working on this that I really started to play again. I remember at that time I asked around, where do people buy games these days? And everybody pointed me to Steam. And when I downloaded it, I had Portal in my library. And that was because a year ago, when I think when Portal 2 came out, there was a promotion where if you signed up for Steam, you got Portal 1 for free. And, and I signed up then, but never downloaded the game. But yeah, that was the first game I played. And I think the very first version... I mean, you can still definitely see Portal's influence in the game now. But that very first version was basically just a bad Portal clone. Even with this whole sci-fi aesthetic as well. Yeah. Now... Is there some narrative in your head for who this character is you're controlling in Manifold Garden? Like what that character's backstory is? No, I've actually always wanted it to be... Not not always, but certainly now the, in the game's current iteration, it is you playing the game. And that, that's really important to me. So you're not role-playing someone else. It's, it's a journey that you go on. Okay. And then films. Any films inspire kind of... The visual look of what a Manifold Garden became? Not so much the art direction, but Inception was a big inspiration. I remember watching it in theaters and that scene where they fold Paris in half and start walking up the wall. I wish the game had sort of explored more what it was like in there, you know, played around with the physics. Certainly seeing that scene gave me the idea initially to experiment with gravity. Since then, other movies that maybe not necessarily in terms of mechanics but in terms of visuals uh dr strange blade runner for sure the architecture in that film annihilation actually was also a big inspiration in terms of the sound design the sort of bizarre organic very unsettling approach to sounds we we really wanted that that was a big big source of influence interesting and there is music in manifold garden subtle can you Talk a bit more about the sound design and kind of did did that go through a lot of iterations and kind of trying to find what was right? Yeah, it went through a lot of changes. I think the hardest part about it is that because the game is so abstract, it's it's hard to figure out what sound you should use. If it took place in a forest, I think that's very clear. Okay, this is what a forest sounds like. This is what it sounds like to to walk on top of leaves. But because Manifold Garden is so abstract, it's like, well, what is this material made out of? Who are you? What should it sound like? Finding that balance between realism and kind of having fun for the sake of that, that was difficult. I'm really happy with with what we ended up with, which is sort of a a kind of a combination of the two, uh, at least in terms of sound design. Now with music, my original idea was actually to have very little music. However, um, as soon as we started to put Larissa, she's the composer, we started putting Larissa's tracks in the game, it was immediately clear that we, we just needed more of that. It really brought in the emotional angle in the game. And so we went from very minimal amount of music in certain parts of the environment to now, hey, let's get music everywhere we can. And for the art style, or not the art style, but the art itself, 
how is that actually designed? Was it 2D art that's then through some kind of algorithm interpreted in 3D for depth? Or is it 3D art that goes down the 2D shapes and upwards to be wider and more varied as you uh, go through the world? It's all done in 3D. It's though we have a pretty particular way of making these levels in the engine. It's sort of think of it like Lego blocks. So it's just these bunch of, uh, we use this tool called ProBuilder. Kind of an unusual way to approach making a game. It's really meant for gray boxing a level to setting the layout and we use it for the entire game. But yeah, think of it like Lego blocks that are used to kind of build up one instance of the world. And then we do have some tools to automate the duplication, the replication. And of course, the certainly the, the look of it that all comes from the post-processing shaders. Those by themselves took three, four years of iteration until we, we arrived at what the game looks like today. Yeah, it's fun looking back at the early examples you shared on the dev blog uh, with kind of just where it started and where it is now today. It's fascinating seeing that insight. Yeah, one really interesting thing about the process, uh, you know, our, our creation process is that a lot of games, they have the level designer will gray box a level and literally just looks like a bunch of gray boxes and then it has to go through an art pass where the artist replaces those with actual assets and that can make iteration somewhat difficult because you get to that final version and people play it and it doesn't work quite well then you have to throw out all the art go back to gray boxing and then it's another pass for us it's basically instant we go from gray boxing to final art instantaneously and that i think really helped us with iterating on the levels and figuring out where the pain points were. And as far as color, color plays a role in this world and the puzzles you're solving. Can you kind of describe color's role in this game? Right. So in the game, for people who haven't played it, you know, everything is a right angle. So there are only six surfaces that you can be on up, down, left, right, front, back. I mean, those change throughout the game. One of the challenges we find with the game is our language is very limited in describing what's happening. The idea is there are these six different gravities and each one has a color associated with it. So right now I'm in the blue gravity, all the blue objects fall down this way. There's the red gravity. And then, you know, when you're in one gravity, objects in the other gravity are frozen or stuck. And using these basic rules, you can kind of solve different puzzles. So you can use cubes in another gravity as a shelf or as a step. And the game is sort of color-coded in that sense. And the cube you're kind of manipulating and carrying throughout this world, many cubes, I should say, it's not just one. But how do the mechanics of that cube change? You're able to do more things with that cube over time? Yeah, I guess we would venture into spoiler territory. But yeah, what you can do with it grows over time. Some of it is not necessarily the cube's power changing. I think it's just your knowledge of what you can do with it increases. Yeah, as you're learning about that world and you're needing to solve certain puzzles, you're like, oh, this can do this as well. Yeah, and I I think it's not necessarily the object itself, but just your understanding of the rules. Because the world behaves this way, I can do this. For example, if you need to get a cube onto a ledge and it's way up above your head, well, then you realize, you know, because the world wraps around, if you drop the cube, it'll actually land above you. That really has nothing to do with the cube itself, but it's a property of the world and the geometry of the world. And for the gravity and orientation of your character, you've mentioned the shelf idea of of using one cube from different gravity to kind of 
prop up a cube from a different gravity. Are there any other examples of some of your favorite ways you've designed puzzles around this mechanic? Around the gravity change or the the world wrapping? Some of them, a lot of them go hand in hand. I think a good example is that Stepwell level. I think that that's one of my favorite levels and I know for a lot of people it's their favorite. You know, you come out into the scene and it's these infinite Stepwells. What's interesting is you kind of need both the world wrapping and gravity change to figure out the solution there. I have like an internal scale for rating puzzles in the game. And for me, that is that is a 10 out of 10 puzzle because it really can't exist in another game. That is a puzzle that only exists in Manifold Garden and is so simplistic and minimalist and yet just really gets right to the point. It's one that for me, the architecture and the puzzle design all kind of very cohesively come together. And that endlessly wrapping around world... It's a beautiful thing to just experience, as, especially when you're like dropping down, just like going in that loop of just like free falling. Was it originally done for the art of what that looks like, or was it the gameplay aspect of you can build puzzles off this mechanic that it endlessly wraps? A combination of the two. The early versions of the game all took place indoors, and it was just sort of one puzzle room after another. And at some point, I think people asked to if I could add a source of light so that the cubes would have a shadow and then they would have a better sense of where the cube's going to fall. And so I added a directional light, but it just looked really weird. It just was this light. You couldn't see the source of it. You just see light and shadows. And so, of course, players were asking, well, where's this light coming from? And I didn't want to add light bulbs. So what I did was I added a window. And so I'm saying, you know, the, the light is coming from outside. And of course, once we added that, then people could see the outside geometry and they wanted to go out there. A lot of people during playtest are like, oh, am I going to get out there later? And I was pretty hesitant to do so because at this time, I still didn't fully understand how to design levels based on uh, gravity changing. So it was very easy to just get completely lost. However, you know, people bug me enough and I allow them to go outside. And then, of course, once you're outside, then you run into the problem of falling off the level and, you know, we'd have to reset the player. And I think during this time I was playing both Skyrim and Bioshock Infinite. And Skyrim is my first Bethesda game and I remember my favorite moment was discovering that I'm actually able to reach the mountains that I saw in the distance earlier you know that was that was a mind-blowing revelation and so I knew what I liked was the player being able to reach places that they can see on the other hand I, I had a bit of a frustrating experience with Bioshock Infinite because I wanted to explore the space but there were just all these invisible walls you know I think in the early part of the game there were these floating islands I guess like these these boats I mean there's I look down and it's like, okay, very clearly I can land on that and not injure myself too terribly, but the game didn't let me to do that. When I was making Manifold Garden, I wanted everything that you could see be a place and you can get to. But of course, you know, so we had this problem of players falling off and the problem of me wanting to create geometry in the distance that players can get to, but not having to create these massive levels. And then the world wrapping actually just solves that beautifully. We don't have to worry about resetting the player because if you fall off or you just land back where you fell off from, it allows us to have objects in the sky without actually creating a lot of new content because it turns out it's just the same level that you're on now. As far as guiding a player through this world, what kind of things have you done or seen in playtesting for 
kind of direction for what to do next? There's a lot. I, I think I would probably point people to my, I did, I gave a GDC talk back in 2016, level design with impossible geometry, only because I think for a lot of this stuff, it's easier if visuals are present. But there's a very simple trick. We have these hallways and a lot of times in the past, people used to get confused and lost in them all the time because of the gravity changing. They wouldn't know which way is forward. And what we did, uh, this is very simple, is just there is always a window on the end that is the correct orientation and it leads into the right bend. So if you think of each corner as an L shape, right, you have these two face, two walls joining each other at a 90 degree angle. The one that has a mirror, if you're looking down the correct direction, you will see a window and you will see light at the end of that. But if you're looking down the wrong direction, if you're going backwards, you just see a wall. And that's very subtle. I didn't want to have these massive arrows I wanted it to fit into the architecture, and this accomplishes that. It's a a subtle thing, and players might not even notice it, but when they start going the wrong way, things just feel off. That makes sense. It's like just a subtle kind of hint to where to go. Yeah, so there's a lot of that in the game. How are some of those things incorporated when you're outside of buildings and more in the broader world? Yeah, often with the outside areas, you know, there are still what we call kind of these ornamental architectural details that help guide players, but they don't work quite as effectively just because of the size of the arena. I think what helped us with the outside areas is having a very clear structure to the space. And what that means is there's generally sort of an overall shape that is very easy to read. We talk about it as, I, I, we use the word iconic level design. That's what I would call it. And it meant if you were to reduce the level down to the size of a thumbnail, someone should be able to look at that and know exactly which level it is because the overall shape of the level needs to be easily recognizable. Oh yeah, this is the one that's a diamond. This is the one with the giant tower in the middle. I should be able to read that very easily. And I think when you are outside and you can read that level and you could determine the icon, that makes it a lot easier to figure out where you are with the world wrapping. The levels where we saw people struggling with was where there was you know, a lot of stuff. So, so Ironically, when I was first designing levels, I would try to recreate spaces that were exactly like M.C. Escher's prints. The problem with those is he's putting a lot of stuff in there. And I think that works well as a print because you're sort of just looking at it and you're discovering these little bits of detail. For a video game level, those work terribly. With those prints, the idea there is to confound the player or the viewer, rather. In a game where you are, where the player actually has the ability to navigate and to walk around, they need to be able to read the space very easily. So I think having, uh, I believe the architectural term is a party, but having this easily recognizable shape to the outside level, that's what we relied on, on guiding players through those spaces. And this game started in 2012. It ended up launching on Apple Arcade. Did you have any thought in your mind that back then this would be played on touchscreens and how were mapping controls to the touchscreen? What kind of challenges did you face there versus traditional controllers that people can play with, well, which are also supported on iPad and iPhone? I would say for majority of development, it never occurred to us. But of course, you know, the thing is that the technology changes. We spent seven years working on the game. That's like several generations of, of changes already. You know, when we started in 2012, mobile games and the phones were a certain way. But by the time we shipped, you know, you're saying people play Fortnite. So there's like already a lot of like, I think 
understanding of first person and third person controls had improved a lot. The devices had already got, had also gotten a lot more powerful. We didn't really consider it seriously until Apple approached us, and I think that was in May or June. We we only had three months to bring it over to Apple Arcade, and we actually ended up bringing on two studios to help us. They're both in LA, Akupara Games and Game Cake. And Akupara helped us out with all the boilerplate stuff. So iCloud, iOS integration. Internally, we did a lot of the optimization just because we understood the game very well. Especially Apple Arcade where you can sync your save between different devices. That was a big challenge and Akupara really helped us out with that. Game Cake just worked on the iOS controls because we knew we didn't want it to feel like a virtual joystick just slapped onto that. We wanted it to feel intuitive. My original idea was just like, hey, two joysticks in the bottom left and bottom right corner respectively. What GameKick ended up doing is the entire left side of the screen, no matter where you put your thumb, that is where the joystick is. It operates like a joystick when you're moving. So how far your thumb moves away from the original placement position, that determines your speed. The right side of the screen that controls look, and that is not a joystick. It actually works like a trackball. You're sort of lifting up your thumb and swiping it. You can actually give it momentum, right? So you can swipe it very quickly and the camera will continue to move even after your thumb has lifted off. That allows players to do like a quick 180. There was a lot of subtleties that went into the design of it. And we're actually still working on an alternative control scheme for iPad. Because of course, there's not just one single touch experience. I mean, your touch experience on something like an iPhone SE or an iPod Touch is going to be very different than touch on a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, for example. Definitely. And it supports DualShock 4, and I played with that on my iPad, and that felt really great. Yeah, actually, one one of the bugs, or it's not a bug, but, but something we missed is we had one of the ratings complain about Southpaw not working. So for left-handed people where we just switch, move, and look. We tested it. It was working fine on controller. But then what we realized is they actually wanted it to be swapped for touch controls. I don't know if that's something we'll do. So they were confused because they were turning on Southpaw and that wasn't doing anything. That means if the controller isn't plugged in, then that option just shouldn't appear or we should actually just swap move and look on the screen. I've reached out to them to sort of clarify like how they want to be approaching the game. Now, achievements are something that are on other platforms and something that are on Apple Arcade through Game Center. One of the ones that I got early on was when I did that free fall from the first building you leave. And that was really cool to see that. Do you have any favorite achievements that you came up with? I believe that the one you're talking about is is trustful or is it take a leap? Take a leap, I think, yeah. I think some games where they have like chapter headings would have that. For us, it always felt like that would give away too much. You know, that that's such a special moment and you want players to, I don't know what to do, and then perform that action and, and have the achievement come up. I think that... The one you brought up is probably my my favorite. I mean, there, there's a couple more later in the game, but it'd be hard to talk about them without spoiling the game. Yeah, you honestly don't know if you're going to die when you take a leap. Uh, I mean, you don't know the rules quite yet about that. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where actually for more experienced gamers, they have a harder time taking that leap at first because if someone who's not super familiar with first-person games or don't play a lot of games, they're not as good with the controls, so they'll often just fall accidentally. We'll often see with very experienced players, they're very good at not falling off. You know, watching those playtests, it's like, come on, dude, just jump. (laughs) Like, 
<laughs> I get it. You're you're you know you're able to traverse these tiny ledges. They're so careful. But I think part of that is just basically all the other games out there train you not to fall off. Right now, you mentioned the game syncs between different Apple devices. Do you have a favorite device to play this on? Not really actually they all have their advantages and what makes them interesting it is really cool to be able to play it on a mac kind of in like a with a traditional pc gaming setup mouse keyboard and then to experience it on apple tv which is almost like a a console experience because then in my living room sitting on the couch you know and it's a bigger screen but it is also neat to play it on an ipod touch because that device is so small and so thin, it's it's like playing it on a business card. All of them feel like you're experiencing the game in a different way. That, to me, is, is fascinating. Yeah, and the aspect ratio, I guess, with your game's art style, it does very gracefully scale up and down, right? Right, yeah. I do like the cinematic feel of the newer iPhones, which I think is like 21.9. That is very neat. At the end of the day, it's how people prefer to experience the game. And... From a gameplay time range, how long do you expect this game to take for those that are really good at puzzle games and exploration games like this to those that are newer at these types of games? I think for a first-time playthrough, you can expect anywhere between three to eight hours. That's what we've been seeing. So people who are really into puzzle games, they can probably complete it in three hours. And I think people who don't play these types of games as much, we see it more yeah, closer to eight And of course, there are secrets and stuff hidden in there. And if you want to find all of that, then you're probably looking at closer to 20 hours. Okay. And have you guys internally done speed runs just out of curiosity to see? (laughs) We do have certain tricks. Usually we we don't speed run the game. We'll have like debug options on so we could just no clip to the level. You know, we need a test. There's a speed running community. I think the record right now, if you're not using any of those tricks like there's a wall clip trick that people use to skip areas if you're doing i think 100 percent completion it's probably like 35 minutes and with these other tricks i think you can get it down to 12 minutes oh wow yeah it's always fun watching the the people that are really good at that stuff right and then of course i'm like should we patch that <laughs> maybe <laughs> not it's it's a pretty obs- like you really have to go out of your way to look for some of that stuff yeah just out of curiosity have you made any like posters out of any areas of the game for your own kind of personal use in your office? Not me. There are a series of prints that are available through VGA Gallery, Video Game Art Gallery. They're an organization based here in Chicago. And we do have a series of prints that we've made using photo mode. Don't have them in my place. Those are available. And one of the new features that we are working on, which is going to be in the next major update, like not in a patch to address bugs, our first major update, which will be out in a few months, we are having photo mode in there. And I'd love to do maybe like an architecture photography contest of some sort and see what people come up with. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. And this game's coming to PS4, amongst other places. Uh, It's exclusive for mobile on Apple. Yes. But have you looked into PlayStation VR and if that makes sense if the gravity changes would be suitable for that platform we don't have plans for VR I know that that's a fairly common request I mean I'm sort of a firm believer that with VR the titles that work well are titles that were designed from the ground up for VR now with Manfred Garden two very obvious challenges are the gravity changing and the falling yeah <laughs> that goes on Oh, yeah. If you're on an elevator in VR, that alone is just uh, a bit unsettling. I can see it 
being like a standalone experience where you get to look around the space, but maybe not move around much. It's sort of one of those things that seems like a good idea until you really start to look into it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I guess any any tips or tricks for those playing this game? Yes. One thing we notice is when people start to panic, what they'll do is they'll just spam the gravity change button. They'll keep changing gravity. And that is not what you should do. Because every time you change gravity, it's a completely new orientation. You're experiencing the architecture in a new way. And that actually makes it quite hard. What you want to do is just slow down and look around. There aren't very many elements in the game. So everything that is there is important. Just slow down and observe. And usually then you can kind of pick out what you need to do and what's important. And are there multiple ways to solve a single puzzle or is there just the one solution for all the puzzles out there? Some of them have multiple solutions. The later ones do. The earlier puzzles, we very intentionally eliminated multiple solutions because like, we wanted you to understand the world, how the rules worked in a very certain way. And so it was important that there was a, a, a particular progression. If there were multiple solutions and people missed this, it, it kind of can cause a problem later on. So the later puzzles are a lot more open to more creative solutions, but the ones earlier in the game are a little more regimented. Gotcha. Makes sense. And then anything we didn't cover yet about Manifold Garden that you want to before you wrap it up? Not sure. I think we we talked about quite a bit. I mean, you know, it it was a seven-year dev cycle, so... Of course, we could be here all day, but I think we got through the the main points. Excellent. And yeah, out now on Apple Arcade and yeah, highly recommended. It. It's just a beautiful game that really makes you you think quite a bit. Like it's uh it's been fun transversing this world and solving these different puzzles. Right. I guess I guess one thing I would add, uh it's more just to help me out, which is if people are playing it and having bugs, send me an email for the bug report. People use like Twitter DMs and YouTube comments. And it, it just makes it so much harder for me to track and follow up. But yeah, send me an email if there are issues with the game and then you know, we'll work with you to figure it out. And uh, where can people find more information about Manifold Garden? They can go to our website, which is manifold.garden. That is indeed the URL, which I'm very happy with. Um, and then, you know, I, I stream development actually, uh, twitch.tv slash William Cheer. That's C-H-Y-R. Stream up development almost every day. Of course, you know, I'm available on Twitter. We've got a Discord server, but the website will have all the links to that. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, William, for your time today. It's been great learning more about this fantastic game. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. Well, that was my interview with William. I'd like to thank him for his time recording this episode. If you haven't already, go and download Manifold Garden from Apple Arcade. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review if you haven't already. Every review goes a really long way in helping others discover this podcast. You can send your feedback to me at applearcadepodcast at gmail.com. You can find the website at applearcadepodcast.com and you can follow the show on Twitter at applearcadeplus. On the next episode is Grindstone, a really fantastic match game that I could not put down and finally beat after many, many hours. This is one of those games that comes highly recommended for iPhone on all those lists that you see out there of games that are recommended for iPhone. But if you have a smaller iPad with the Apple Pencil, give it a shot there. I found the Apple Pencil to be kind of the perfect input for this type of game. So if you want to play that ahead of time, that is what's coming up next on Apple Arcade Plus. Thanks again for listening. Talk to everyone again real soon.